If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast, where each episode brings you interviews and ideas from nonprofit leaders. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today's conversation with Doug Borwick will explore community engagement as a tool that is more effective than just plain old outreach for building your prospective audience and supporter base. Dr. Doug Borwick is an artist, educator, author, public speaker, and nonprofit administrator. Our conversation today is going to draw from his experience as the CEO of Arts Engaged and the author of the book, Engage Now, a guide to making the arts indispensable. While Doug has spent most of his career in the arts, today's conversation will offer insight to every nonprofit that wants to gain impassioned supporters from a broader audience. So whether you are with a museum, a homeless shelter, a workforce development organization, a legal services corporation, this conversation is still for you. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Doug. It's a pleasure. This has been definitely been um, a 24-hour period of uh, some snafus. I know you and I had a little bit of technical issues actually getting on Skype this morning. We eventually made it following the tactic of, okay, you unplug things and plug them back in and see if that works. Sometimes I think like there's these genies on my shoulder that just makes everything work because just as I was about to give up and say, okay, let's reschedule, it worked out. And, you know, those genies were on my shoulder last night. I, I was in uh, New York uh, yesterday to do some client work and, of course, a nor'easter hit. And I always say I have these these travel genies. And so I was looking and I had an 8 o'clock flight out of LaGuardia. I was looking all day and literally the flights before 1 p.m. all took off to Atlanta. And Delta has a flight almost every hour. So then the next one was canceled. 
the one after that was canceled, and then there was a five-hour delay, and then canceled, canceled, canceled. And I'm like, I, at this point, you know, I mean, I've already checked out of my hotel. I'm looking at hotels. Even the Yotel, even the Yotel, not the world's best hotel, is going to be like $1,200. And I'm like, oh, I, I come on, travel genies. So I was so thrilled that the one flight that actually made it out that day after 1 p.m. was my 8 p.m. flight. Now, we got out at 11 so you and I are doing this, by the way, Doug. Um, I don't have a lot of sleep, and I have a cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that. I might like to borrow your genie sometime because I once had a flight out of LaGuardia canceled because of rain. Well, you know, the thing about LaGuardia, it only has two runways. And so three drops of rain, like any backup at all, and before you know it, it is snarled. Like you're waiting for hours to get out. And now, of course, the mayor of New York is probably going to, you know, Bill de Blasio is probably going to send me a nasty note or something and be like, don't talk bad about LaGuardia. Well, well, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. I am just so thrilled you're here. Can you share a little bit about how you came to realize the importance of community engagement? I was trained as a composer. My work through the PhD was all in composition. I was a composer at the Eastman School. That's where I did finish my training. And all the way through that, no one really talked to me about anything other than the craft of music. You know, when I would study an instrument, they would tell you, okay, you put your fingers here and you can make a G sharp. But none of that had anything to do with uh, what was happening in the relationship between music and the world out there. It was very inwardly focused. Now, I know that a lot of schools, and Eastman is one of them, have, have changed that since then. But that, you know, that was back in the dark ages. I've, I've been out of school for a long, long, long time at this point. But that led me to becoming a, a producer because no one will play your music unless you produce it as a composer, a, a young composer. Uh, that led me into arts administration, and somehow I found myself for – 30 years then running the arts management program at Salem College here in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And as an academic, you have the advantage of not having to keep the doors of an arts institution open every day. You can kind of look over the horizon and say, what is happening in the world? And one of the, one of the things that happened in the late 80s, early 90s, you know about the culture wars. And a piece of that broke out about a mile from where I lived at the time at the Southeastern Center for Contemporary Art. And I observed over the next few years that no politician paid a price for beating up on the arts. And almost no politician got any credit for supporting them. And that led me to think, why is that? Uh, and to try to begin to try to begin to analyze that. And what I came away with was that over you know the centuries, the support for the arts has been in the institutions that have money and power, and artists aren't stupid; they gravitate towards that, and that has led to a real disconnect between the general population and the arts institutions. And that began a path for me to think through, one, let's th see some more of the origins of that, but then also what do we do about it? And the, the place that I came to is that if arts organizations want to be 
relevant, viable in the next two generations. They've got to begin to pay a lot more attention to their relationships with their communities, become less inwardly focused and more publicly oriented in their thinking, uh, moving from what I call art centricity to a broader uh, relationship with their communities. And that's the origin of the work. When I began it, this was like 20 to maybe even 25 years ago now, that did not get a lot of traction. Uh, we have had over the last 10 to 15 years, more people in the nonprofit arts industry realize that, okay, there may be something that we need to change. And as a result, both through my blog and books and the uh, advocacy work that I do, there is more conversation about community engagement, although that term has been badly abused, and more responsiveness to this notion of being aware and attempting to of and aware of and attempting to work with communities. So, Doug, let's unpack that a little bit. What exactly is community engagement? And I know you draw a, a strong distinction between community engagement and outreach. So how should organizations be thinking about those two things differently? Community engagement became a fad in the arts world of, uh, about 10 years ago. And people were doing any kind of thing that they thought was in one way or another associated with the community and calling it community engagement. The one that most made me put my head down on my desk and cry was the ballet company that was giving a dollar of their ticket sales to the homeless shelter and calling that community engagement. Now, it's a great thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But in any substantive sense, that's really not engaging with the community. For me, community engagement is about substantive, mutually beneficial relationships uh, that have to be developed over time. And that's one of the problems with community engagement is it's not instantaneous. Uh, outreach is one of my pet peeves as a word. You know, I know that a lot of people who use it are using it for very good reasons. But on there are sort of two levels that I have concern with it. One is that if you just look at the word itself – it implies that I'm in the center and the source of goodness. You don't have it. You need to come to me. You know, and we see it used that way in uh, churches. We see it used that way in education. We see it used that way in the in the arts. And the other thing about the word outreach is it places a, a barrier between whoever is doing the outreaching and the people that they want to reach. It's like a that's like a wall goes up. The people out there, outside of the wall, look at you and go, "Why should I be interested in what you have to offer?" Uh, so that's a that's a concern. Can you give an example of an arts organization that used community engagement well? Certainly, there are many of them. The Queen's Museum of Art in the borough about 10 years ago, hired a community organizer as a part of their staff. And they went out and developed relationships with the various communities around the, around the museum. And then, and as a result of that, all kinds of things were happening that many people would say are not museum work. 
you know, the developing English as a second language options in the museum. But it was about developing relationships so that when an artist came in for a residency who wanted to work with the communities, they didn't have to establish the relationship of trust themselves. It already was there. And so that they could go in and tap into that. You know, another one that I cite many times, and I sometimes hesitate to do this because people hear about a very cool but expensive and time-consuming example and say, well, we can't do that. We can't afford that. But I'm going to use the example anyway simply because it is so cool. Uh, Houston Grand Opera has as one of its principal programs something that they call HGO Co. And it is about establishing relationships with communities in Houston. And one of the things that they've done is commission a, su- a series of operas about the stories of the immigrant populations in Houston. And there are many, many, many of them. That's one example. A very, very, very different example is the early music ensemble in Seattle. I met with their director uh, first about two years ago, and he told me that at the time they had developed a relationship with a church in the Seattle area that was doing Ebola relief work in Africa. And out of that, uh, the early music ensemble put together a program of music that had been written about or inspired by the Black Death, by the 14th century plague. And it was the first time I had ever heard of any early music ensemble doing community engagement work. So those are some. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but we probably want to talk about other things too. It's interesting. I Gosh, now almost a decade ago when I was running a large LGBT community center in Philadelphia, we provided social services, but we were also a community institution. And so we had a 2,000-square-foot art gallery. We had this beautiful – the original structure was built in the 1860s. We had this beautiful old building. And so we took really the amazing, you know, gorgeous wood lobby – and turn it into an art gallery. And our most popular art show of the year, or I guess exhibit of the year, would always be um, when we did our, our juried art competition. We would get someone from, you know, like Pennsylvania Academy from the Fine Arts or Tyler School of Art, you know, so we get jurors that maybe not professional, but, you know, but artists, would, you know, community artists would really want their work to be seen by, and they would submit a work. And so we would typically end up having, I would say, 30 to 40 pieces of art in the show. And it was really incredible in terms of, and it's fun, I never really thought about that as community engagement, but it, but it certainly was because, you know, all of these artists brought their networks into the gallery and now all of their networks knew about the gallery. And community engagement is ultimately about creating relationships between the institution and very and various communities. What are some of the big potholes that organizations need to look out for when they're driving down the road toward community engagement? One is thinking that they are doing community engagement when they're not. You said before we began this that you like stories. Well, I'll give you another one. Not infrequently, when I'm making presentations about community engagement, I will have someone come up to me afterwards, and they're usually late 20s, early 30s, saying, thank you so much for articulating this. I've I've felt these things, but I've never been able to put them into words before, and my organization just absolutely does not get it. And five minutes later, the executive director or the president of the board of that organization – 
will come up to me and say, thank you so much. This is really important, and it's exactly what we do. Uh, I talk a lot about confirmation bias. If you know something is a good thing to do, you identify what you're doing as that thing. And so to begin with in the arts, it's important to distinguish among audience development, audience engagement, and community engagement. They're all important, but they're not the same thing. Fundamentally, community engagement is about establishing relationships with communities. And then out of the process of that relationship, develop programming that serves the interests of those communities and also serves the purposes of the, of the arts organization. And thinking about this has led me to basically four points of what you need to be thinking about when you're trying to do effective community engagement. The first one is develop relationships. Spend the time to develop those relationships, and those relationships have to be built on mutual respect. That sounds obvious, but lots of times it's important to evaluate yourself of why you're doing it. The next one is that there absolutely does have to be mutual benefit. It has to be good for the community. It has to be good for the arts organization. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. You know, And if it's not good for the arts organization, then it really is just charity. And so successful community engagement has to have something about it that is going to serve the interests of the arts organization. The third is that whatever projects are entered into need to be designed and implemented collaboratively. You know, the arts organization or the social service organization or fill in the blank, whatever nonprofit, is the expert in their discipline. But the community is the expert in what works and what doesn't work in their community and also what the real needs and interests are in that community. And finally, and this is the hardest one for arts organizations, there needs to be some kind of relationship maintenance plan. What happens after the event? Because we in the arts are event-driven. We're all about doing. And we get to the end of an event and then kind of go on. And the danger there is that a series of communities could look on, on this arts organization as nothing but a one-night stand. So figuring out how to maintain the relationships is the, is the fourth piece of that puzzle. Well, Doug, we are going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss how an organization that's not actively involved in community engagement, what first initial steps they should start looking at. The Successful Nonprofits Podcast is produced by the Goldenberg Group as part of our mission to provide board development, strategic planning, and interim leadership to help nonprofits thrive in a competitive environment. Did you know that 87% of all podcasts are listened to on a smartphone? Now, that is a completely made-up statistic, but I'd be willing to bet you that it's in the ballpark. So I want you to pull out your phone and rate the podcast right now, because I know there's an 87% chance in the ballpark, completely made up, but 87% chance that you are listening to this podcast right now on your phone. So dig it out of your pocket or out of your bag. If you got one of the newer ones, use your finger to unlock it or put in your code. And now go online and rate this podcast right now. It will help other people find the podcast. 
Hey, welcome back, Doug. So let's say that, you know, I'm an executive or a staff member or a board member in an organization that has not really done a lot of community engagement, and I now feel somewhat inspired to, to move in that direction. What are my first initial steps? Walk slowly. The most important thing is to really be prepared for any kind of community engagement. And along with that, it's it's a great danger to try to do too much too soon. Uh, I'll say more about that in a second. But what I would what I would say to begin with is twofold. One is have the organization make a commitment to the concept of community engagement. That it's important, it's going to be a mission-level activity, and that these are things that we are going to support. Then begin to do some planning about how this is going to work. Uh, Who is going to be responsible? Where will this work lie? And also think through the fact that at the beginning, you can do things that are, that are simple and you should do things slowly. On the simple side, you can look at stuff that you're already presenting, that you're already doing, and imagine that in a community engagement context. As one example, the chamber orchestra that's doing one of the uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons concerti can think, you know, we're performing spring, and I wonder if anyone from the Sierra Club here would be interested in talking with us about the meaning of spring in the, in the context of uh, global climate change. So it's a, it's a way to think that is different, and you don't need to all of a sudden be commissioning new operas. You know, that's way on down the road. Uh, everyone in the organization can think, what do I do that I might think about in a community engagement context to move us forward towards community engagement? Another example is if it's a big organization that has a marketing department that does focus groups, rather than looking at those as one-way information gathering, creating story circles – so that the people in the focus group can talk to the organization about what this piece meant to them or what this work meant to them and then get feedback from the org- from the organization so it becomes a relationship development tool that's uh, that's one example another is the development department can move from what is basically a zero sum game there are not all that many donors, foundations, government agencies that give money to the arts. And so, you know, you're always in competition with other arts organizations to a view of if we are doing things that are of interest to our communities, there are lots of funders who all of a sudden might be interested in those things. And the I think the best example was the National Endowment for the Arts under the previous director, went to all of the federal agencies and said, how can we advance your interests? And as a result of that, there became money available for arts activities from the Department of Education, from Health and Human Services, from Housing and Urban, urban Development, and of course, my favorite, the Department of Defense. You know, so that you don't think of this 
as, okay, I'm all of a sudden going to do all of these new things and I can't afford to do any new things. It's really twofold. You're going to look at thinking differently, changing habits of mind, and then build on that. The other piece, as I said before, is you want to do it slowly because especially if you are developing relationships with communities that you don't have a relationship with, they're going to wonder why you're there and suspect your motives. You just want me to you know, donate money or you just want to sell me a ticket. And so you need to spend time building trust. And that is going to be a time-consuming process. You don't want to try to do too much too soon. Uh, sometimes in a workshop, although I've stopped doing this certainly over the last six months or so, uh, sometimes I would go out into the audience, get down on my knee and ask someone to marry me. And then I would stand up and look around and say, okay, how creepy is that? And that is what too many arts organizations attempt to do when they get bitten by the community engagement bug. You got to realize that, and this is something that I say in workshops, is if you ever have a question about what next to do in community engagement, think what you would do in the context of trying to develop a relationship with a new person. You're attracted to them, but you don't know them. Get someone to introduce you as, as just one example. You know, in, in the nonprofit sector, that's, I think, the way a lot of organizations approach fundraising, too. You know, you kind of look at it like you're courting somebody. So you've mentioned time, and I know you, you touched just a moment ago a very little bit about funding. But, you know, whenever we talk about time in the nonprofit sector, we're also really talking about money because, for the most part, we're paying staff. So I know you, you mentioned a little bit about funding, but if an organization is interested in getting started in community engagement, what are some ways they can raise the money necessary to do this community engagement work? The very first thing is you don't need new money at the beginning. You need to think differently and do things differently. At least you know, I've spent most of my time talking about community engagement as it applies to the arts you know, so that I haven't really thought through – for instance, a social service agency. I think one of the things that you can do because it is relationship building and that's time consuming, one of the things that you can do is identify advocates in the community that you want to develop the relationships with and then have them become liaisons to that community. Another possibility would be board members. You know, we always look at board members as resources, but the only resource we think of is money. But if you're interested in community engagement, there is nothing so valuable as street cred in the community you're, with which you are trying to engage. So that having someone on the board with that credibility in the community in, so, in some cases can be even more valuable than money uh, because you can't buy credibility. So I would say don't immediately go to where is the money going to come from to do all of these new things. I think you begin with first, how does thinking about this differently affect the work? And then what are some things we can do using – and I, I will use the word volunteers, but the word volunteer has such a connotation. What I'm really talking about is relationship assistance, people who can, who can help in the relationship building process, who – are sufficiently interested in their communities or in their organization that they are willing to do this without being paid and then begin to think about, okay, we want to do new things. Where can the money come from for that? 
Doug, we are just about to wrap up. But before we do, I need to ask you the off the map question. And for our listeners who maybe are tuning in for the first time ever, the off the map question is typically a question that is not at all related or only tangentially related to what we're talking about today. But it allows listeners to get to know you a little bit more as a person. I know that you are a composer, you know, you are registered with ASCAP. And so I've got to ask you this question. Is there a piece of music that has dramatically changed your life? And if so, what piece of music and how did it change your life? The change the life part is different from what musicians usually get asked. I'm happy. I'm thrilled then that I, I asked you a question you're not asked all the time. That's right. And let me hedge by beginning with an answer that is not about music. One of the most powerful arts experiences I've ever had was walking into the Museum of Modern Art into the room where Guernica was hanging. This shows my age (laughs) because it hasn't been there for quite a while, but it was a visceral experience. I almost had the breath sucked out of me. It was so it was so powerful. And that is one of the things that I've used to think through the difference between and the relationship between what I call visceral art and reflective art. You know, visceral grabs you and reflective, there's more every time you go back to it. And that's one of the best examples of that. In terms of responding to your question, let me talk about some important pieces to me and see if I can get to a change my life part of them. One is Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. Again, I remember the first time I saw it thinking this is as close to a perfect musical as I've ever seen. And the reflections on the human experience and being in the moment, all of those were important. Another one uh, is Mozart's Requiem. And I think that as much as anything else is, and I'm going to say simply, but that really doesn't do justice to the word, or to the to the work, is one of the most powerful pieces of music that I've ever experienced. And I, I've had the good fortune to conduct it twice. And that was way fun. <laughs> and then... A variety of works by Stravinsky. I would probably point to Rite of Spring, but there are many of them that are in the same category, the Bartok string quartets, all of which are about, for for me, about demonstrating the power of the music to influence my life in a way that suggests the importance of art as an aesthetic in itself. And when I say that, some people say, but what you're talking about is not necessarily that. Well, what I'm talking about is making a situation in which people can come to the power that the art has in ways that we don't touch on now. You know, right now, most of the nonprofit arts industry is serving, it's a different subset in each of the arts, but at most five, seven, eight percent of a population. And what a waste that you have 95, 93, 92 percent that are not taking advantage of that. 
Well, Doug, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. I always want to leave listeners ways that they can uh, know more about you. So the first thing they can do is they can go to your website, artsengaged.com. And at that website, I would strongly recommend that listeners check out your engagement essentials. And that includes the eightfold path to community engagement. I actually read that myself and found it incredibly useful. Um, at your website, they can also, of course, learn about your advocacy, training, and consulting services. Now, for listeners that want to reach out to you on social media, I understand that you are burning up Twitter at Doug Borwick. So, uh, so again, that's at Doug Borwick. Doug, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's a total pleasure. Every nonprofit could use more supporters who are evangelists and ambassadors, and Doug has laid out a great way to build your supporter community through engagement. Another totally made-up statistic is that 96% of all podcast listeners do not have a pen in their hand while listening. I'd actually be willing to bet it's probably 98 or 99%. I don't know what fool made up the 96% statistic. But if you did not have a pen in your hand and you need Doug's consulting firm's uh, URL, that's artsengaged.com. But again, if you don't have a pen, you probably remember successfulnonprofits.com. So Go to our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. We will link to his consulting firm, Arts Engaged. We will also link to his book, Engage Now, a guide to making the arts indispensable. Now, if you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague, a supervisor, or a board member. Nothing shows your colleagues and the people around you that you really care about the work that you do as much as saying, hey, in my free time while I'm on the subway or mowing the lawn or whatever, I am building my skill by listening to this podcast. So brag on yourself a little bit and help other people out. That's our show for this week. I hope you have gained some insight that will help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.